Morena Tefana. We're in the week two of Advent. Um, today we're going to be sitting in the second chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to be unpacking a story which I think is quite... Um, um, it's unusual that a Gospel writer like Matthew would talk about, seeing as he's writing his Gospel primarily to a Jewish audience. So it's an interesting thing that he has something to say about this. Because I think it might have made, uh, well, a few Jews a little uncomfortable with this story. We're going from chapter 2, from verse 1. It says this, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now, I imagine some of you are thinking, why would Jews be uncomfortable with that? Well, it's because of this, actually, one word. But not only that. You see, we have um, kind of Sunday-schooled our Bible to the point where we've sterilized it and it's lost its uh, oomph, its wow factor. We would say Magi are what? Wise men? Kings? Those are what we translate them as. We even have a beautiful carol through E3 Kings. But the Greek word magos means sorcerers. Try teaching that in Sunday school. They are sorcerers from the East. Now, no matter what people want to say about the Persians, um, especially in particular, one of them, Cyrus the Great, where he's kind of popped up recently in Christian circles. The Persians of the East, even the Babylonians, were seen as a heathen people that charted the stars to find, you know, truth and, and future aspects of what's going on in life. They were shunned by the Jews. So the fact that these sorcerers coming from the east, and they don't really say where the east, but we would say towards Babylon, towards Persia, further afield the Medes. They come from the east, and they're the ones looking for someone that the Jews were waiting for. Imagine if three sorcerers came into town today and said, we're waiting for Jesus, where is he? Some of us will think, dude, something wrong with you. But it's fascinating how we Christians have taken the Bible and sterilized it, losing significant aspects of it and rewritten it in such a way that it makes us happy. It makes us okay with it now. They weren't three kings and there's nothing in there that says they're wise. And guess what? They looked at the stars and they figured it out. And they came. We Christians have a problem because appearance to us is so much of an issue. It's like me. I, if I dress like this, people will take me seriously. It's the truth. He looks good. He's got a jacket on. He must be smart. The moment I take my jacket off, 
and it's a tattooed, earring, bold guy that looks more like a bouncer. <laughs> so we can't really take him seriously. Isn't that the truth, though? Because for us, appearances are everything. Fascinating, isn't it? Even our depictions of Jesus over the centuries have morphed from an Arab to a Norwegian, clear-cut, blonde, blue-eyed guy. It's fascinating. We've had this problem that's happened over the last couple of weeks. <laughs> it's over our pose, which are at the front of our office. And uh, I shared with you this last week, but so last, the week before, we had a woman come in. She was looking at the pose, and then she came and opened the door and asked us very politely, are you Christian? And we was just Andy and I in the office. I said, yeah, we are. And then with this loud voice, those are false gods! False gods, I say! False! And before we could even respond to her, she slammed the door and walked off. And Andy were like, whoa, okay, well, you know, that happens. This last week, an older gentleman walked into the office. He was very polite. He asked us about our office and the arrangement that we have about having desks, you know, that you can come in and work on. Anybody, anyone who wants to come in and work in our office, you're more than welcome to come in. And so he was asking about, that. oh, that's really, really good. Oh, and, and I could just bring my computer and, yep, you can come in. Just let us know and we'll make sure someone's around and so on and so forth. And it's all going well till then he stops and says, but you need to get rid of those if you want me here. <laughs> and uh, Lisa immediately looked to me and I stood up and I said, is there a problem? Yes, those are demonic. They need to be removed. And I said, I'm respectfully disagree with you, but I'm not going to argue with you. I'm not your pastor. Go talk to yours. Then a third time this week, another gentleman stopped in front of it, looked at it, again, Andy and I were in the office, and Andy just was like, I was sitting away typing away, and Andy's like, Rob, Rob, and I looked up, and I could see this guy, and, and I was waiting for him to come in, he came towards the door, and I looked up at him, and I think the bouncer thing might have scared him. I don't know. <laughs> but then he walked along the, other guy, along the other part of the frontage there, and he gave us this death look. And, and Andy would, you know, I don't know if he did it. He was like, oh, should we do the sign of the cross or something? <laughs> it was that bad. And it was just appalling. It's appalling that we Christians can't see beyond that. It's appalling that if it's not something that we're comfortable with, we will react in this way. And you've got to ask, in a season like this, joy to the world, actually, the ones who don't seem to have much joy in their lives are Christians. We look very much like the Pharisees of the first century, ready to point at everything that's wrong, ready to keep people in line, while amongst them is the Savior of the universe that's arrived, and they've missed it completely. It, it's fascinating. Um, by the way, I've spoken with Kotahitanga. We're going to have a little statement put on the window just to 
even though we do have it below, but we're going to have it on the window, just to explain our position on this. And it's not for the non-Christians. Unfortunately, it's for the Christians. Go figure. Many years ago, when I was at Southview Baptist Church, which is a Southern Baptist Church in Northern Virginia, we did every December, well, actually, we began literally the weekend right after Thanksgiving, we set up our whole um, setup and put in what we called a live nativity. It was two weekends, it was full on, um, it, it involved digging these big post holes and putting up these big, you can see my little, well, Jess was little then, <laughs> but um, you can see how big these, and it was the narrative of the Christmas story, and it went right around our building, because on the corner of our building was this major intersection, and so people could see literally the story. We had animals, we had all sorts of things, angels, we had um, the whole thing set up, and it would go for about three hours, and you know, in Northern Virginia, in December, it's cold at night, <laughs> so you could see all the angels are all rugged up there. <laughs> yeah. um, we had all sorts, we even had a camel, it was amazing, in America, you can find anything, by the way. Um, it's amazing. It was a great night. We would have thousands of people. Then they would come to the main, I didn't put a photo up there, of the nativity scene. And then from the nativity scene, they'd come into our auditorium, which came right off the nativity scene. We'd have our choir there singing carols, and they could sit there with eggnog or hot chocolate and listen and then move on if they wanted to. Thousands of people would come to it. It was amazing. It was, it's one thing that I couldn't believe because I'd just come from Australia. And us Aussies, when it comes to Christmas, it's like here. You know, it's, it's holiday time, man. But in America, it's like Christmas. It's building up from Thanksgiving all the way, and there's no holidays. They usually only get a week or so break. It's the middle of winter. You don't go anywhere. So the service is huge. By the time we get to Christmas here, I may have half of you in this service on Christmas Day. Because we're all going on holidays. It's hot. You know, we're out. But it was amazing there. But it reminded me, as I was thinking through the sermon about how we act on things as Christians, it reminded me of a story I shared a few years ago, and I went back to check up on it again. And it was a story about the baby Jesus being stolen from nativity scenes. If you remember that, right? I shared that story with you. And, and I used some of the cuttings, the clippings from, from those stories that I read. And I went back and looked, it, has, is it still happening post-COVID? Apparently it still is. People have this knack of stealing the baby Jesus from these nativity scenes. And here's some of the stories that are coming out of it. Uh, it's no longer the very expensive baby Jesus that we used to have. Amy Clark, who was with a local group called Keep Christ in Christmas, told the recorder in Greenfield last week of the latest missing doll. It's a pretty little doll. It was stolen. Um, and then going on, we need to let people know that a crime like this will not be tolerated. The church said on its website, also, let us continue to pray for the conversion of sinners, especially, especially those that did this act. Three 19-year-olds, get this, were arrested for stealing from the nativity scene from a Methodist church in Forest, Virginia. One was sentenced to a year in jail for the crime, while the other two spent 60 days in jail and did community service and gave the church $500 each. Oh my goodness! Like... Why are you in jail? I stole baby Jesus. <laughs> He's going to get a beating in high jail, isn't he? <laughs> the poor guy. I mean, it's amazing. Um, 
Volunteers in town are dealing with the recurring thefts by buying cheaper standings. One stolen last year cost about $3,000. You imagine me going to the finance team saying, I think we need a new baby Jesus. Yeah, cool, $3,000. <laughs> Richard Corte would stab me. <laughs> $3,000 for a baby Jesus. Oh my goodness. Going on. Um, <laughs> I love the title of this article from NBC. It says, GPS hidden cameras watch over baby Jesus. When baby Jesus disappeared last year from a nativity scene on the lawn of Wellington, Florida Community Center, village officials didn't follow a star to locate him. <laughs> it went on to say, to help victims recover their infant saviors, a New York company earlier this month offered to install GPS tracking devices inside nativity figurines. That's where technology is keeping up with the evil that's out there. Oh my goodness, it's fascinating. But the question I want to challenge you is, what is worse? Stealing baby Jesus or just leaving him alone in the manger? What, what's worse? Again, I'm making light of it a little bit, but it's all about appearances. Christmas is more than just about appearances. And are we guilty, just as guilty as those who steal from Jesus, the baby? Are we just as guilty just leaving him alone in that manger? The Magi, they go through this, they come here, then it goes on in Matthew chapter 2, it says, Then Herod, who found out the king, who the current king of the Jews, who happens actually not to be himself, a Jew, called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. There were a lot of people who really wanted to steal baby Jesus. And at Christmas time, there were a lot of empty mangers. The story goes on. Herod, in his anger and frustration to steal baby Jesus, he steals a lot of babies. What is it about this baby that everyone so wants him? <laughs> what is it about him that they want to steal him? They want to cross wide swaths of desert land to find him, that they want to get their armies after him. What is it about this baby that is so wanted? What is it? He'll have nothing to do with power, wealth, or politics, and yet he will have everything to do with servanthood, sacrifice, and suffering. He'll spend his time with the poor, the outcasts, the less. And all the while, rebuking the religious, the elite, and those who have more. Why is he so wanted? He will want nothing from the world. He will practice what he preaches. And you know what? He will call people to a way of living that's way beyond themselves. And he'll even be willing to die for even those who are his tormentors, the ones who cast the stones at him, the accusations. He is willing to die for them just like he is willing 
to die for you and me. Going on in the story. After they'd heard the king, they went on their way, the Magi, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. They had no idea what it was that they were going to encounter. They had, the only perception they had was that he was the king. Not of their people, not of the people from the east, but that he was the king of the Jews. And they came and they were overjoyed at a little baby in a manger. We want a Jesus who agrees with our worldview. We want a Jesus who we can mold rather than actually allowing him to mold us. We want a baby who we can admire rather than an active Jesus who cares deeply for the world he came to save. In Titus chapter 3, Paul talking to the guy he's been mentoring for so long, he says this, but when God, our kind and loving Savior God, stepped in, he saved us from everything, from all of that. It was all he's doing. We had nothing to do with it. He gave us a good bath. And when we came out of it, new people washed inside and inside and out by the Holy Spirit. Our Savior Jesus poured out new life so generously. God's gift has restored our relationship with him and given us back our lives. And you know what? There's more to come. An eternity of life. You can count on this. There's a reason why the sorcerers were overjoyed. Just reading that should bring joy to everyone in this room. Do you know, it doesn't matter what's going on out there. It doesn't matter what you're faced with today. There is more to life. Pastor friend of mine, he was dying. He had literally received the, uh, the, the prognosis he had cancer and within two weeks he was dead and I was fortunate to see him in that two-week period. He was the first guy I ever worked for. And I looked at him, his name was Rob, and I said to Rob, how you doing, mate? It was crushing. You know, he was about that high. But I don't know why, I always saw him much taller. But to see him so frail in bed, are you okay, Rob? And he looked at me, he said, if you had 10 seconds, 10 seconds to glimpse heaven, how different would your life be today? You're sad, I get it. But if you knew where I was going, how sad would you really be? If we truly believe that Jesus is the reason for the season, there is no other thing but joy no other thing but joy. Jesus doesn't need to be protected, guarded, tracked, or defended. There's nowhere in the Bible where we're called to defend Jesus. He does a pretty good job of it himself. We don't need to defend him from those uh, brigands who are hatching drunken plots in bars. We don't need to deal with people who are angry at the world or even people who are angry at God. 
and especially those who aren't even happy in this holiday season. We don't jealously guard our Jesus, we give him away freely. You want the baby? Have it. We'll have another one ready for you tomorrow. Take him. He's free to give. Christ is a gift, Scott Losey says. He doesn't belong to us, and so you can't steal him from us. We give him away freely. Freely. At the end of it, the on, on coming to the house, these are the, the magi, the sorcerers, they come to the house, they see the child with his mother Mary, and they bow to him and worshipped him. And then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route, filled with joy from this encounter of a baby. Yeah, maybe they were wise. Maybe it's right to call them wise because they saw something that no one, hardly anyone, we'll talk a little bit about that next week, hardly anyone could see and they were all waiting for it. Jesus himself says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. So that your joy may be complete. I'm going to actually use... I'm always commenting on somebody else's comments, right? I'm going to do my own. Happiness is based on circumstances. Joy comes from the Lord. We might not be happy one day and we might be happy the next day, but we're always joyous because when we're in the Lord, it can only be but joy. Does that make sense? Don't worry about those brazen images that you feel you need to point the finger at or the way I'm dressed. Don't worry about what the world is doing. Focus on God. His Holy Spirit has the power to change anything well beyond whatever power you think you might have. The joy that we have in this season is being reminded every year, no matter what happens during the year, Christmas always comes. Thank God. Remind us, Lord, of the joy because, you know, by the time it gets to December... Sometimes it's hard. But Christmas, the greatest gift we have, of Jesus our Savior coming as a baby, freely giving his life up for us. As Bruce put it so well, I can't remember how he read it from the book, but that was amazing. So humanity can have eternity. Gosh, it's joy to the world. Man, and we know about it. The world doesn't. How can we not share that joy? Forget about these stupid things. Getting our eyes off the mission. Share the love that God has for people in this season. Share the joy that you have, even in amongst the rubbles of our lives. 
there is joy because there is so much more than this. We don't die for nothing. Jesus, our God, our Saviour, joy to the world. Ask the music team to come up. Let us pray. Lord God, as Advent comes upon us, joy, hope, love, peace, those words roll off our tongues because we encounter them every time at Advent. And for some of us, maybe we've taken that just a little too much for granted. For some of us, we're just so steeped in all that's been happening in our lives that we've forgotten of the joy that we have in you of the peace that we find in you, of your love for us and the hope that we have. Uh, thank you, Lord, that every year Christmas comes. I don't care what date it is. We can sit here and argue about what date is right and wrong. We just know there is one point in the year that we celebrate his birth. It is now. It is coming. Praise be to God. Praise to you, your Father Almighty, for your Son, Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord, to embrace that joy of knowing you as our Father and knowing Jesus as our Savior.